Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Everybody talks about God. Oh, every religion, God, 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 everything, God bless you, and God this, and God this, and thank God. Who is that? Who might that God be? Who is the person? That's the question. That was the question on which Paul was saved when he said, who art thou, Lord? In other words, who are you, God? And then, on the road to Damascus, and then God revealed himself to Paul by saying, I am Jesus. So when a person comes to the realization that they're talking about Jehovah Jesus, God Jesus, makes all the difference in the world. So we can see now that it's so important, and what else we recognize from this is now we've talked about the two very important words of Jehovah, all caps, L-O-R-D, and Elohim, big G, small O, small D, God, in, in, in how it's designated there. And now, with that in mind, and when we look at verse four, it's very interesting because it reads like this. And when Jehovah saw that he turned aside to see Elohim called unto him out of the midst of the bush. Now, wait a second. Now, so it seems like double talk, right? Because we're talking about Jehovah and now Elohim is the same person. How are we to understand this? How are we to understand the fact that Jehovah and Elohim are used interchangeably? They're used synonymously, it seems like. Well, how are we to understand that? We understand this interchangeable use of Jehovah and Elohim, just like we're reading here in verse four, by the words that the Lord Jesus Christ said when he clarified this situation to us in John 10:30 with a very simple statement when he said, I and my Father are one. Now that's in the Greek New Testament, and we understand very clearly that when he said that, of course in Hebrew, that he would have said, I and my Father are echad. In other words, I and my father are echad, and when you use the word echad and you speak of God, immediately goes back to the great Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hero Israel, or Jehovah Adonai. Hero Israel, Jehovah Eloheinu, Jehovah Echad. So in other words, he's saying here the same thing as John 10.30 in the great Shema. is Jehovah is our gods, is Elohim, is together with the Elohim, is part of the Elohim. And that Jehovah is Echad, in other words, Jehovah Jesus is part of the Elohim, Jehovah Jesus is part of the Echad, he's together. And that's what he said there in John 10.30. And then he further went on to say in John 5.17, the Lord Jesus Christ said, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. So that gets down to the question of, well, exactly how are they Echad? 
They are echad, they are together. For example, here in one aspect, they both are doing the same work. See, they're working. They're different persons, but they're doing the same work. My father works here, the two, and I work. So God, the Lord Jesus Christ, or is so one, he is so echad with the Father and God the Holy Spirit, you can't separate them. That's the point. You can't separate them. That's why they're used synonymously here in our verse here in, in Exodus 3, 4, because you can't, you can't pull them apart. You can't separate them. The three persons of the Godhead in the Elohim are as linked together in their thought, in their character, in their work. They're as linked together with each other as our body and our soul and our spirit is linked to each other. I mean, right now, I'm speaking to you right now. I'm speaking to you now. And so now, here's a question. And so you might ask me, you say, well, now, who's, what part of you is speaking? Is your body speaking? Or is your soul speaking? Or is your spirit speaking? And I would say, how can you ask a question like that? Of which part of me is speaking? I'm speaking, but there are three parts of me. There is a body here. There is a soul. There is a spirit. And so when you ask the question, which part is speaking, I have to say, they're all speaking. The spirit in me has something it wants to express. The soul in me has the will to express it. And the body is doing the work of expressing it. Well, it's the same way. It's the same way. It's an analogy. But all three persons of the Elohim are engaged in speaking to Moses here. That's why the word Elohim is used. But since no man can see God the Father and no man can see God the Holy Spirit, the person that Moses saw at the bush was God the Son. So he was the one that was physically speaking. But that's what Jesus meant when he said, I and my Father are one, and my Father worketh hitherto, and I work. It's very important to see this. Now, we come now to verse six in Exodus three, and we saw from verse six that Moses was shocked he was just shocked when he got there. He hid his face, and it says he was afraid to look upon God. Sometimes, for example, here, it starts off and it says the angel of the Lord. He says the angel of the Lord, in verse two, appeared unto him. But it becomes very clear that that angel of the Lord is the Lord because then Moses goes on to say he was afraid to look upon God. This happens a few times in the Old Testament. Now, why was Moses shocked when God spoke to him? This was probably the lowest time in Moses' life. I mean, Moses, poor guy, he's been on the backside of a, of a desert for 40 years. And we could just imagine how lonely he must have felt. 40 years, it's a long time. And it was a real low watermark in his life. He's separated from his people, he's in a strange land, he's living in a home of an idol-worshiping priest. Um, this was very, very foreign for him. And so he just feels so isolated, Moses does. And so the thing is about Moses is that it was into his loneliness that God broke through, and he broke through with words. God shattered Moses' loneliness by speaking to him. That's how God shatters our loneliness. God, he got, God pierces through the darkness of our loneliness and shatters it with his words, with his words, with the Bible. And so this is what shocked Moses so much more than anything else. And so how, when he saw how God 
saw Moses, cared about Moses, and Moses wasn't aware of God. And that's what really shocked him. You know, it reminds us of a person, a wonderful person in the Bible, where there is before Moses, who twice, twice was cast out of the family and was like Moses, and on both occasions, the Lord appeared to this person and broke the loneliness of this person by speaking to this person. I wonder if you're thinking, oh, can you guess who I'm talking about? Can you guess who that is? It's cast out into the desert. Well, I'm talking about Hagar. Yes, Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid. Sarah's handmaid. She was sent into the desert by Sarah on two occasions, by jealous Sarah and by an angry Sarah, uh, on two occasions. And first, the first time this happened was that Sarah was jealous because Sarah had been responsible for um, Abraham to get Hagar pregnant so that Sarah could have a child. But this backfired on, backfired on, on Sarah because Hagar despised Sarah in her eyes. And so a jealous, a hotly jealous Sarah cast her into the desert pregnant. And so Hagar, we find her in Genesis 16, sitting down by a fountain of water in the desert and she's crying out in her heart to God, evidently. She's crying out to God and because God speaks about hearing her. And Hagar is not just crying out to God for what's gonna happen to her, but the heart of the mother Hagar is so, so moved for her baby. And she's so wondering, what's gonna become of my baby that's not born yet? What's gonna become of my baby? And so God spoke to Hagar there and told her that she should go back to Sarah, that she should submit to her as hard as it was. And God made a tremendous promise to Hagar. And that was that her son, her baby would be a son and he would become a great multitude of people. And God told Hagar that, that she should name the name of the baby. She, God gave the name of the baby already. God gave the name of the baby to Hagar, and Hagar named the baby that name because that's what God told her to do. And the name of the baby is a wonderful name. Now, the Jewish people, most of the Jewish people don't think it's such a wonderful name, but it is. It's a wonderful name because it's a contraction of two words. It's a very special, special name. I told you that the most important prayer for the Jewish people is the Shema. That's how it starts out in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, Shema, it's an important word. That's one of the words in this baby's name, Shema. And the other word that's in this baby's name is the word El, or God. So literally, this baby's name means God shall hear, or Ishmael, Ishmael, or we say Ishmael. Ishmael, that's a wonderful name. It really is, and the, that's the exactly the reason in, in Genesis 16, 11, as we look at that, it says, God spoke to Hagar and says, behold, thou art with child and shall bear a son and shall call his name Ishmael, or Ishmael, Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. That's what he said. It's because the Lord hath heard thy affliction, Hagar, that you should name the baby Ishmael, or Ishmael. So Hagar was to name this boy Ishmael or Ishmael as a permanent memorial to the fact that Jehovah Jesus heard Hagar's cry, for, heard her affliction. That's just like God heard the affliction of the Jewish people in Moses' day. So in Genesis 16, 11, Hagar has just heard 
God give a wonderful name for her son, Ishmael. That's what he's heard. He's heard. Okay, that's the name. God shall hear. That's for Ishmael. Wonderful name for her son. And now, and now, having heard that in Genesis 16, Hagar turns around and gives a wonderful new name for Jehovah Jesus. And that's in verse 16, where she said this, and she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, thou God seest me. And then she challenges. She has a challenge for herself. And she said, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? See, this is a new name for the Lord. This is a wonderful new name for the Lord that Hagar has given to us. And it's the name, thou God seest me. So what does it emphasize? It's emphasizing. It's emphasizing how God sees us when we're not aware that he sees us. That's what she was saying. She's saying, thou God seest me. Have I also looked after him that seeth me? And, emphasis, and so like with Moses, Moses was shocked that God saw him. Hagar was shocked that God saw her. And this is a very important name for the Lord. And as a matter of fact, it's one of the names of the Lord, and the different names of the Lord are very important for us because those different names of the Lord are like tools in our toolbox for prayer to God. When we call on the name of the Lord, we select out of the toolbox the appropriate name to call on him for, for encouragement. As we call on his name, we also encourage ourselves. And so when we pray, what do we do when we pray? When we pray, we look to, we open up our toolbox of the different names of the Lord, and we take out the perfect one that meets the situation that we're in. See, Enosh, Enosh, it was the son of Seth, Enosh was the first person in the Bible who learned the secret. The secret, what secret? The secret of calling on the name of the Lord. In other words, of picking out of the toolbox the name that he needed. And he started a trend. Enosh started a wonderful trend in the Bible where it says in Genesis 4.26, and to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, the name Enosh means sickly. And we can just picture this boy, this sickly boy Enosh, reaching down into his toolbox of the different names of God and pulling out for himself the name of the Lord that's just for his situation. Maybe he pulled out the name that David used in Psalm 43 too. This seems appropriate, where David said, for thou art the God of my strength. There's a name for God. There's a name of the Lord, the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go on mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. So in other words, you see what David's doing there? David was, was mourning because of the oppression of the enemy, as he said. He felt as though he was being cast off. And so what did David do? He reached down into those toolbox of those names of the Lord, and he pulled out a perfect tool, and he called upon the name of the Lord as the God of my strength in Psalm 43 too. So we can imagine Enosh, weakly, weak, sickly Enosh, doing the same thing as he did, calling on the name of the Lord as the God of my strength. We can imagine him doing that. But to know the different names of the Lord is to know who the Lord is, because he is revealed to us by his names. And from this knowledge of adopting this practice, from this knowledge we adopt this practice of calling on these different names of the Lord as name tools 
from the toolbox of the names of the Lord. It makes us strong and it makes us victorious. That's what it says in Daniel 11.32. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. So we need to know the different names of the Lord because those names are very important. They protect us, they protect us. That's what it says in Proverbs 18.10 when it says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runneth into it and is safe. See that protection there? It's a strong tower, the name of the Lord. And it says we run into it and we're safe. So it's a good, 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 good idea for us, each of us, to start to assemble our own personal toolboxes. Our own personal toolboxes of the different names of the Lord to understand what they are and what they imply about God, why? so that we can use them at different times, pull out an appropriate name of the Lord and call on the name of the Lord. Now, Hagar has given us this very important new name of the Lord, Thou God Seest Me. That's a wonderful name of the Lord. And, and I came to understand how valuable that name was in 1987, 25 years ago in April, me being the father of the house, and I decided that you know we should go take a skiing trip. And, and uh, our three boys, they, they knew how to ski, and so that everybody was very happy, and so we all wanted it to be a really positive experience because this was the first time when my wife Cheryl was gonna come. So this is the first time she's gonna be on skis. We all wanted it to be a really positive experience. So we stayed the night in, down in the valley in Salt Lake City, and then we were driving up to the slopes in the morning, and the boys and I were telling Cheryl, trying to build some anticipation. We were telling, oh, it's gonna be beautiful. So we, Oh, wait till you get there. You won't believe it. Beautiful mountains, white, gorgeous snow, blue sky. Oh, the air is so wonderful. And so what she was doing, she was telling us that she could not understand how you would want to do a sport that you purposefully put yourself in danger in. That's what she was telling us. And so she was telling us all about, we were telling about the beauty and how wonderful it is, and she's telling us about all the avalanches that she's read about, all the broken legs, all the people lost in the snow, <laughs> and the fact it was really this conference, we weren't on the same page. And so the boys and I came to the conclusion that mom could just write a bestseller book and she would, she would have the title be this, All the Things You Could Worry About If You Could Only Just Remember. <laughs> that would be the title of her book. Or there'd be a short title, Being Married to Tom. Anyway, <laughs> for, for Cheryl's first time on skis, I wanted it to be a real positive experience for her. So before coming, I had found out about the beginner school so I could get her in that for skiing. And I assured her that by telling her that it wasn't dangerous, I told her how I started skiing when I was in high school in Switzerland and I was 22 years earlier and how I'd never gotten hurt. And, and so I, you know, I carried her skis up the hill for her to the ski school in front of the little door there where all this, the new beginner skiers were lying would come and I put the skis on her and I told her not to worry and I told her don't do anything, just stand there and just wait. And then I went down to sign her up for the beginner's class. I told her, I said, just stay here. I'm gonna go talk to the lady instructor and so it'll be all right. So I went off and I explained to the lady instructor that my wife was just a little scared and could she just, just please be, just please be a little extra understanding with her. And when I came back, there was Cheryl standing there right where I left, and they had just, uh, they had just brought down this girl on a sled, 
who had badly broken her leg. <laughs> and they parked the sled right in front of Cheryl. So this girl's head is right in front of Cheryl's skis. It couldn't have been a worse place for them to stop there. And they looked up at each other, you know, Cheryl looked down and the girl looked up to her and Cheryl said to her, have you been skiing a long time? And the girl replied, this was my first time on skis. It could have been worse. <laughs> and Cheryl started to cry <laughs> and she went, and so, but she was a trooper and she went through the beginner's class. And in her class, there was a man, also a beginner, he had a very bad back. And Cheryl watched him take a very bad fall. And he seriously, he really seriously hurt his back. And he was lying in the snow, face down in the snow, with a terrific agony and pain, and no one could touch him. In fact, everybody was afraid to touch him. They had no idea what was going on. So they called the helicopter, and the doctor came in the helicopter, but they had to wait 30 minutes for the helicopter to arrive. So for the whole time, if you can picture it, here's this man, he's laying face down in the snow in absolute agony. No one can touch him. Everybody's gathered around him, and no one can help him. It was such a desperate situation as everyone wanted to help, and no one could. And Cheryl was trying and trying and trying to make her way over to the man, but she really couldn't get there. And she said, I have something I want to tell him. I have something I want to tell him. And she, but it was, you know, she couldn't. And then, then the helicopter came and so forth like that. So I said to her, Cheryl, what is it that was so important that you wanted to tell the man? She said, I just, you know, there he was lying there face down in agony. What do you say to a man? He's lying face down in the snow. He can't move. He's in absolute pain and agony. No one is, everyone's is afraid to touch him. So I said, Cheryl, what is it that you wanted to tell him? And she said, I just wanted to tell him the words of Hagar, thou God seest me. And when she said that, it all became so clear to me what a valuable name that is for God. That's what she wanted to share with the man. She just says, you know, Hagar, when she was all alone, she just wanted to say, Hagar said, thou God seest me. Wonderful name for God. So now, speaking of the names of God, we come now to verse six, and in verse six we see that God gave to Moses four names, four names of the Lord. For him to Moses, put these in your toolbox for the names of the Lord, and you pull them out when you need to call on the different names of God. Here's four for you. And so in verse six it says, moreover he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and then it says Moses hid his face, he was afraid to look upon God. So here's four names that God gave to Moses, and they were, number one, the God of thy father. Who's his father? Um, a man named Amram, so his name is Amram. So the God of thy father, Amram. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So these names for Moses had particular meanings. What did these names mean to Moses? What do we understand about God? What did Moses understand about God? What do we understand about God? when God said that his name was the God of his father, Amram. So Amram was a man who, like all the Jewish people at that time, was a helpless slave under an oppressing Egypt. And when God said that his name was the God of his father, that means that the Lord is the help of the helpless. That's what he's saying. He said, I am God, I am the help of the helpless. That's what he was saying there. Now, next he said that he was the God of Abraham. So what did Moses, what do we understand about God when he says his name is the God of Abraham? Well, the God held out two very important aspects about the life of Abraham that he wanted the Jewish people to consider. 
The first aspect about Abraham is found in Deuteronomy 26.5. Moses was teaching the Jewish people about their father, Abraham. And he said, when you speak about your father, Abraham, I want you to say this. This is the words of Deuteronomy 26.5. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, a Syrian ready to perish was my father. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 